see. And now it is time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate you being here with us today on the show. We'll be here for the next hour live on WPSL, and we'll be glad to take your calls, comments, questions, whatever you have on your mind uh, to add to the show. We're very glad to do that. I'll give you the numbers for that and how you can reach us in just a moment. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about the show in case you're a new listener. We Are Just Christians is uh, brought to you by the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And the basic idea of the show, of, there are many ideas which we could have could use and many ways we could pursue this. But we chose to try to introduce the idea to this area of being just a Christian, not part of some human denomination and not you know, not built on the religious orders of men or even uh, the secular religion that we now are experiencing in our culture where people decide what they're going to do on their own, kind of a uh, extreme individualism on steroids. I'm all for individualism, but not this extreme individualism, individualism that I get to decide even what my sex is and do whatever I want and nobody can complain about that. Not that kind of individualism. But that's a kind of religion, too, and we're going to try to point you back to the New Testament to find out how to live, not only as an individual, but as far as our religion is concerned, our spirituality. So this show is about spirituality, but it's about seeking that spirituality through the teachings of Jesus Christ and his apostles in the New Testament. And we're going to point you that when you when you call and make a comment generally our response is going to be pointing you back in that direction so you can think about it and uh, and you can then read what the scriptures we give you and and then think about what's being said there because that's where we believe the correct answers are. My name is Mike Schmidt, I'm one of the elders and uh, the preacher here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard and with me is Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Gary, Mike. Gary's the other elder here at the church. And uh, we've spent several years working on this show. We talk about a little bit of everything, a lot of cultural things. Uh, we talk about different Bible topics. We uh, respond to your emails, questions, texts, and so forth. But the idea is to just generally give you an idea how to pursue this idea of being just a Christian. And that's our website, which we'd like to point you to, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com is the website. Let me give you the numbers. You can reach us by phone here this morning live at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number. And Ray there at the station will answer you the call. And he'll put you right through to us and we can have a conversation. There'll be a little one or two second delay. We'll try not to step on you. If we do, we're not trying to interrupt you. We just It's hard sometimes to tell when we should respond to your comment or question, but we'll do our best. That's what's going on there, but you call and we'll have a conversation. If you can stay on the air with us, we'd like to, maybe sometimes we want to ask a follow-up question or you can respond to what we say, and we don't mind you doing that at all. You can also reach us by text message. There's two text numbers. One's mine, Mike's, and one's Gary's. You can use these text numbers during the show. We'll do our best to respond in some way to them. Uh, and or you can use them during the week or any other time if you want to text one of us uh, about a question or comment or something about the show. My text number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. That's Mike's. Gary's is very similar, 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. It's his number. And we also have an email address that people like to email, and that is uh, uh, justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. That's how you reach us, by email. And we'd love to have you communicate with us in any of those ways because it makes the show interesting, and we'd like to hear what you have to say. And, and certainly feel free to disagree. And as I'll mention again, I know it's taking up time here at the beginning of the show, but I, I, I do especially w- would like to invite people who are who have had a bad experience with religious people or religion or have a complaint about religion or God 
I would especially like to invite those who do not consider themselves themselves believers to call or contact the show. We would love to talk to you. We're not here to embarrass or argue with anybody. We don't mind disagreeing. We'll let you know about that. You can disagree with us. But I would love to hear from you, and especially if uh, you've got something negative to say, we don't mind that at all. It would be enlightening to us and to those around us who uh, are listening to the show. You know, a lot of people, Gary, we've mentioned it before, they think, well, I don't want to call because I might be embarrassed. You won't be. Uh, Secondly, um, or they say, well, I don't know what I sound like. Look, we all know what you sound like. It's like people say, I don't want my picture taken. No, I already know what you look like. I still want your picture. We, people know what you sound. They don't mind. It's, 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 we're human beings. And secondly, we'll say, well, my question is probably nobody, nobody has the same question. I can assure you everybody has the same kind of questions. They may be a little bit different. Some may be more specific or esoteric than others. But in general, we have the same kinds of questions about things. In fact, a lot of people call in thinking they have a very uh, a topic for hmm, this topic of doubt, they might say. Well, I tell you, Gary Jones and I have already discussed this. We already <laughs> have the same question. We're, we're pursuing this. We're learning. Now, we believe there are answers, and we can give you the answers that we can give you from the scriptures. But we all are humans trying to learn. Nobody knows everything. So we'd be glad to talk with you. Don't be afraid or ashamed to call in. 772-340-1590. Well, we have a call, Gary. So Amazing, isn't Jump it? onto the phone. Well, I appreciate people calling in. Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, I have a, a brief question about the word uh, divine and the different tenses of a word uh, uh, divine, uh, divinity. And uh, during the Second War, they had the, uh, what was it, uh, the divine wind where they would uh, attract uh, a big ship. Uh, you know, or Japanese, and it was called a divine wind. And I was wondering if you could expound on the word uh, divine and, and uh, divinity. And is divinity just a different tense of the word divine? I know it's a simple question, but I was wanted to get that right and uh, just briefly talk about the what the word means and different tenses of the word. And I'd like to listen off our mic if that will be okay. Yeah, that'll be fine, Jerry. I appreciate I appreciate you calling very much. Thanks for calling. And it is true. A lot of people, it seems, are not as um, attuned in words, uh, Gary, that they um, don't recognize two words that are related, like divinity, divine, divination. You know, they all have the same. They all have the same kind of root. And the idea of divinity. It's related to the word for deity in that sense. It means having a nature or being like a, de- a deity or God. And deus, deus, uh, is the Latin word for God in a ge- even specific or generic, deus. So um, uh, that divinity and deity is all that same word. And so it relates to that. And so a we even use it sometimes, people have used this word, being divine is an is kind of an adjective or an a positive. Then there is a divine where you take someone who who is uh, in service to, like the Catholic Church would call their priest divines because they're serving God. Different kinds of priests. Divinity just is a another word that is turned into a noun from the adjective divine to a noun. A divinity is a god or something that is like a god. So we'd speak of the Romans of of having dozens or hundreds of divinities, meaning God, different kinds of gods. And the the word is used in the Bible, uh, in in the English translations of the Bible, a couple of different times um, in various ways. And it probably is used from the Greek. It's used, it probably has some different usages of it. Uh, um, it's used as di- in the Old Testament. We find it more of divination, where someone is trying to communicate. Well, you were going to say something, Gary. Well, I, I was going to get long-winded. Well, I was going to pick a spot like Second Peter one three, where he uses it relative to God, and just look at what the Greek word came from on that. 
but go go ahead. Go, go, that's all right. Go ahead. I, I just haven't got it all up yet. Oh, all right. So. Well, you see, in the Old Testament, you see mostly this word div- divination, which is where someone would try to use some kind of means like cards or cutting animals or throwing stones or, or to reach the next side, the other side. You know, uh, Jim Morrison sang that song, Break On Through to the Other Side. Now, Jim Morrison was an occultist and is still kind of honored worship today, practically, as being one who was able to, through the use of drugs and music, to break through to the other side, the spiritual side, the world beyond the world we can see. Humans have always been interested in this world that's beyond the one we can see. And they're always looking for connections or portholes or wormholes, you know, as it were, to a world that can't be seen. This is There is a spiritual world that can't be seen. We believe that here because the Bible teaches that. The question is, how do you get there? In the New Testament times, you, well, you don't get there by getting to a, getting a seance or calling some, you know, uh, medium. That's why they're called a medium, because they go between the two worlds in the middle, mediate between the two worlds of the seen and the unseen. But that's what divination was. And the Bible roundly condemns divination. Uh, practicing divination and soothsaying was a death sentence in, under the law of Moses. God said, don't do it. Don't try to practice it. And the question in religious circles has always been that he say don't practice it because it's just a false and misleading and fruitless kind of endeavor because uh, these false gods don't exist. Or did he did he say it because, yeah, the false gods exist and they're actually demons that you may be communicating with on the other side. But I can see both sides of the argument to a little little bit. I think what divination represented in ancient Israel, like it did with Saul in the case of Saul, divination represented an attempt uh, on the part of the Jews to access God without actually speaking to Jehovah or going to Jehovah. God established a means in the Old Testament to reach him. It was through the priesthood and through the sacrifices. And when people tried to circumvent that through the prophets also, when they tried to circumvent that process and reach the gods, then he was... uh, incensed with that, or when they worshipped other gods besides him. So the word divine is referring to that which is beyond human powers, or diviner is another thing. Now then you have this word um, in, and as I can say, most of the uses in the Old Testament are this diviner, divination, and so forth. There are... uh, not many other usages I can see. I, I just relooked this up. You see that um, the first usage of the word is in, in the New Testament, though, is in Matthew 2, where it says that, that Joseph was divinely warned in a dream, okay, not to go, uh, not to, uh, hang on. He was divinely warned that he should not return to, to Herod, but uh, I got this all wrong. Pardon me. I'm confusing two instances. The the three wise men. Did you catch yeah, that, yeah, Gary? Yeah. Uh, teasing because there weren't three wise. Well, we don't know if there were three wise men. The wise men, the mad guy, were divinely warned in a dream. It says not to go back to Herod and tell him where this baby was, but to go back another way, and so they did. The word divinely warned there is an interesting word, krematizo in the Greek, which is translated divinely intimate or by implication, you know, to consult something, be admonished or warned of God. It says God was God warned Moses, divinely warned him to make sure he built all things according to the pattern when he built the built the Ark of the Covenant. This word here then is to be warned not by signs you can see of an earthly nature, but to be warned by something beyond earthly powers. That's the divine warning, a divine warning. And that's how it's used. This word krematizo uh, is used several times in the New Testament. And then... Um, Primarily in the New Testament, it seems just what I'm looking at here, Mike. It's going towards the idea of godlike. That's how Strong's is is presenting it. The New Testament usage doesn't seem to 
lend itself back to divination, if it would. But it, the, way the only ones that's mentioned in the Book of Acts where yeah, the girl right, was guilty right, of doing right. divination is the same thing. Yeah. But, well, you most have the, of, most of them are of that root that goes back to uh, godlike. Okay, or right. as opposed to human-like. Human-like. You're right. So you have uh, you have human nature, you have God nature, and that's the, what is. You see this word used uh, in a couple. I want to go to a couple other instances, but one of them there is in in the book of Acts, um, in set, chapter seventeen. That's twenty nine. That's yes, and he's talking yes in Acts seventeen twenty nine when he's talking about to these Greeks who were philosophers there in, in the city of Athens on Mars Hill. He's talking about the God that they didn't know. He was going to explain to them this unknown God that they didn't know. And he said, I know this God. And he says that he, he's not very far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being, verse 28, as some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature or divinity is like gold or silver or something shaped by man's art or devising. Now, this word divine nature is translated in the new king james in capital letters but is it's in in the king james is godhead it's godhead that's kind of a there's no word for head here um it it, it really means and and in the context you see this he's contrasting the human nature or human things on the earth made with man's devising man's ability to make a little god in a stone or carving talking about gold silver, gold stone. silver stone that you make little idols out of humans do with that which is actually divine or from the other side of the other world the true god so this is a word that is this divine nature is a um, theos it's a derivation of the of the general word for god only it's spelled differently it's t-h-e-i-o-s in brought into english should have T-H-E-O-S has an extra syllable in there, and it means divinity. As opposed to humanity, it means divinity. Uh, and, and that's a concept in, in the Bible. It's obviously a concept that we all have. And you see it's used two or three times in the New Testament like this, uh, that word divine. So what this says is that there is more to the universe than what can be observed in a scientific experiment or in a test tube or through a, under a microscope or through a telescope. There's more to the world. Not that those things are bad or that, or that they do not have importance in, in the pursuit of the things that we can see. But there is another world that we cannot see. And the Bible says that the world that we can see is temporary. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but the world that we cannot see is eternal. So that world we cannot see is the divine world or a divinity and where God dwells, and that's how it's used. And so I'm not sure that answers Jerry's question, but that's where you get some of these various usages of this word. The word divine would be considered, uh, Jerry, the cognate, meaning the basic word. Then you have a diviner, divinity, um, divine. You have all the various forms of this word, the other the other forms. Some are nouns, some are adjectives. Well, it's even used in the Bible as a, as a uh, verb, to divine something, would be to try to ascertain it by use of divinity or by uh, throwing throwing entrails of an animal down, how, they, how the liver lands and how the loaves fall out would be a way to dis- divine something or people look in the sky and see geese flying a certain way and they they think they can divine what's going to happen in the future god god condemns all that kind of stuff that we can tell the future or understand god's will by looking at those kinds of things uh he get he allowed a few of those things to happen to men that had special gifts but those men do not exist anymore those gifts have been done away with, according to the book of 1 Corinthians, those gifts of, of um, casting lots and people having supernatural powers or doing miracles. We have to read the scriptures. What we find, about, what we find out about the divine is in the divine revelation of God's word. That's the thing that we need to understand. Um, man, I, there's a whole lot of different usages of this word divine. I don't know. Do you think that... 
I think that yeah, answers the yeah. question we got. But believe, uh, what do you think, Gary? Any more I to add on so. that? Um, basically, it just all I can say is in the New Testament, the predominant use, if you're reading it, is re- relating to being of God's nature or God-like. Right. And the most interesting use of the word is this word in Acts 17 of divinity or divine nature sure. or, as the King James translates it, Godhead. Yeah. Now, when you think of Godhead, we think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is not what's being discussed, used in Acts 17. That's but why the that's New King the James makes it divine nature. And that's more accurate to the actual yeah, Greek. Right. Because it isn't Godhead. That'd be two. That'd be a different Greek word than than this. Uh, someone just sent me another passage here, Gary. Let me look it up because I can't. It's, John just sent in Matthew 16, too. Uh, that's not ringing a bell with me. It should. What Matthew that verse 16, is about. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, he it's it, it is a verse I was had, my, had in my mind, but I wasn't sure of the reference where uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus, Matthew 16, verse one, testing him and ask him if he would show them a sign from heaven. Well, you know, a sign from heaven might be a divine sign, right? That's divinity. And he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red in the morning. It will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening hypocrites you know how to discern the face of the sky but you cannot discern the signs of the times a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet jonah and then he left them and departed so yes uh we have this saying um my brothers and i and when we were doing fishing out on the atlantic some in little our little uh sport trips out there with my brother's boat Red sky, and my grandfather used this phrase, red sky at, uh, um, no, now I got it backwards. <laughs> red sky at morning, sailor's warning. warning. Red sky at night, night, sailor's delight. Okay. Meaning that if it's, if it's red, if, if the sun up is red, it means that there's clouds and other stuff in the air that are going to bring rain or bad weather. If it's red at night, it means it's clear. And it's going to be good weather the next day. Not always correct, but not a bad sign. He said, you you can read those signs. It's funny. They had that exact same understanding of the weather back in Jesus' day. <laughs> well, it's interesting. <laughs> if, if I look at the Strong's definition relative to, to Matthew, uh, I think it's, what was the reference? 16. 16.1. 1. 16, 1. Yeah. One and I, two. I would make a literal translation that they're asking for a sign from the abode of God. Right. That's what they're from asking heaven. for. And, and he says, you, you have a sign from the abode of God, uh, from the abode of God in that he's revealed really? to you what he wants what you, you to do. And that's why he says to them, you're a hypocrite because you th- you can think you can discern the, s- the sky. That's where, you know, they look up to God, yeah. heaven, but you can't even read this. God says that you are a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. Well, what, does that, he, what does he mean by that? Well, go ahead, Gary. Well, I was just going to say, it, it kind of goes back to what Paul says in the Romans. Uh, he tells them that God displayed the things of the earth and the things of the universe and the things that they see so that they could understand God more. Right. And, and I think Jesus is saying, you can't even see that. Right. It, it's, it's just, your, your mind is, is so... Uh, bent or warped away from God that you can't even understand what he's displaying to you every day that you can see. Now, I'm going to go ahead and, and try to break down what Jesus does say to them in this answer in Matthew 16 that John texted in here. He calls them a wicked and adulterous generation, and they you know, that generation seeks a sign. A, a, a generation that's not wicked and adulterous doesn't isn't always looking for a sign from heaven to know when to repent, okay? People today always want to know, is this the judgment? Is this the is, is it Now is it time to repent? Folks, it's always time to it's repent. It's always time to Stop repent. Stop being, if our generation wasn't so wicked and adulterous, we wouldn't be worried about the judgment of God coming any money and destroying all this mess we've made. And wasting our time trying and to wa- figure out when it's... Wasting our time trying to figure it out, yes. We would know, he, he's saying, God's already told you what the sign is of the coming of the Messiah, it's right there, and what the sign of the judgments are, your wickedness is going to bring on the judgment of God. You can't even see it right in front of your face, you see. 
And so uh, he was condemning them because, uh, and that's true, that the more wicked and adulterous generation gets, the more people start looking for a sign uh, and, and uh, the signs right in front of them. The truth is, uh, the end of the world is when you mess up and die, not saved, <laughs> yes. outside of God's will. That's when that's when the end of the world is for you. One one life to live, and when that's over, and right, and the prophet, the sign of the prophet Jonah, which he said was already there for them in the scriptures, not some special sign going to be given in the heavens. It's already in the scriptures. Was him being uh, raised from the dead, uh, like Jonah was raised from the dead, as it were, and so. They're going to see that, and guess what? They're not going to believe it because they're wicked and adulterous. All right, we could expound on that for the rest of the show, but uh, we should move on. Thank you very much for your call, Jerry, and for your uh, text, John. We appreciate that. Well, Gary, you got anything else on your mind this morning? I got a couple little odd things no, here and there, but go uh, right ahead. I was just, I'm, I'm just going to go back to my favorite verse, though, John twelve forty eight. Just exactly what we're talking about. What did Jesus say in John twelve forty eight? Right. And, and our listeners really, uh, some of you ought to be able to quote this one by now. In John twelve forty eight, he says, He rejects me and does not receive my words as that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's what we're looking to. Right. Very good. Well, there's, um, maybe it goes along with this whole, maybe we got led right into this into this story from, this wicked and adulterous generation seeking a sign, but I hate to be a prophet, uh, and I'm not, a, and you and I be prophets, but we predicted three or four years ago, even on this show, or said that when they ruled that homosexual marriage was ha, uh, was a constitutional right, as it were, that it wouldn't be long until all the other barriers to, to biblical marriage, or the marriage of New Testament marriage, were broken right. down including pedophilia, which is still coming, and we see we talk about lots of signs about that, and also polygamy or polyamory. Yes. And now we see the ju- that the courts in liberal states are beginning to rule on these very things. But before we get into this, though, let me define the terms in case someone's not familiar with them. Uh, the Greek word for female or woman is gamos or uh, forms of that so a polygamous poly means many so polygamous is something that where you have a marriage that has many wives or several wives poly meaning many uh the g-a-m part is wife polyamorous is more generic and that means many lovers whether there's marriage or not i suppose and it can go both ways. So polyamorous is more like you might have one man, two women, or maybe you have four people, two men, two women, or three men and one woman. You have all these various combinations of lovers, as it were, that are considered to be married or or um, acceptable. Now, in the New Testament, from the, in the beginning, with Adam and Eve, God made... Jesus quotes this in Matthew 19. God made one man and one woman on purpose. He could have made one man and two women if he wanted to or reverse that, but he made one for one, and God had intended it to be that way. But then Lamech came along uh, close to the beginning, and he took two wives. It says he took two wives, meaning he did that himself. He took two wives. Rather than uh, following God's will, he decided he was going to do what he wanted to do. And so polygamy came along pretty early in, in human history. And he seems to have he was a been, wicked man. Well, he seemed to be very proud of his rebellion. He's a very he was a very wicked and proud man, yes. And you can read about that in early in the book of Genesis. Uh you'll see this, chapter ten and eleven, uh Lamech. And then then you see polygamy at various stages throughout the old heaven. God God even allows polygamy uh in Israel for various reasons. Some of the social reasons would be that there were very few, much fewer men than there were women to take care of the women and so forth and so forth. We can get into all that. But in, in the New Testament, God then, and he warned the kings not to have many wives, but they did anyway, and it caused no end to trouble. Polygamy did. But then when, when Jesus speaks about this issue in Matthew 19, 
he goes back. He says, in the beginning, it was not so. Even speaking of divorce, he goes, he goes back, back to the very and beginning. quotes Genesis one: each man gets one wife. Okay, each one for one, and that's the law then that we live under today, Christ's law of one for one. Now, therefore, it can be a problematic, I think, Gary, for Christians to talk about biblical marriage. Unbelievers often mock you and say, well, which biblical marriage are you talking about? The, 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 the one with many wives or the one with one wife, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, because they're right that in the Bible, God did allow polygamy, but he says very clearly in time of now that we live under Jesus law, that we have one wife and one man. Now then, when when homosexuality was brought in, as it were, as a, a legitimate, and, and that's why Christians objected to homosexuality, homosexual marriage, I should say, not homosexuality, but homosexual marriage, is because marriage was between a man and a woman, not just a singular man and woman, but just a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. So when God created Adam and Eve, he could have made two men two women. He could have made one man, two women. He could have done a lot of different things, but he did not do that. And Jesus goes back to the beginning and says, in Matthew 19, is saying essentially, God did it that way on purpose because that reflects his will for human nature, for human beings. So we Christians made the argument that, the, that marriage was between one man and one woman, not one man and another man, or, by, uh, or any combination of those things. Kind of a smart comment that was made about that is God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right. And, and that's the point that he, he didn't make that. He, God's creation, it was done by his word, was, was his will. And Jesus, then if you believe in Jesus, if people say they love Jesus but endorse homosexuality, Jesus endorses that kind of marriage in Matthew 19, and his apostles do also. Well, I'd like to remind folks, when, when you say, I believe in Jesus or I love Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's right. That's one of the things that I, we, we lose when we talk about this, that we cannot say that we believe in Jesus or love Jesus and not keep his commandments. Right. Well, they have a they have a very hippie kind of view of Jesus, that Jesus was you're basically your nice uncle that basically let you do anything you wanted to do. And he was nice. And he wasn't nice, but Jesus was a fierce man, and he taught things very clearly and specifically and didn't make a lot of those wicked people happy. Now, uh, well, let's, 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 let's go also, back. To the, let me make one more comment, uh, because we often read in, in, in basically in the New Testament that Jesus was a meek person. We have a very unbiblical definition of meek. Meek is, does not mean weak or not strong. Meek in the New Testament basically goes to someone with a very strong ability and personality. But under control. But under control. Under control of the Spirit of God. Right. That's right, under control. So, yes, that's what I meant by fierce. It is a strong person with strong understanding but under control, control. not just uh, as we would in the world, just out of control, doing whatever you want to do. So in any event, uh, get off. I'm going to go off too much on that. But what what we Gary and I kind of said, a lot, a lot of other people said at that time, that this would lead to the to the legalization of not only polygamy and polyamory, right. but eventually pedophilia. What what was known at that time as pedophilia, underage sex and uh, so forth, because there's no there was no logical reason given the decision made by the Supreme Court and the basis for that decision. There was no logical reason not to accept those things. Oh, that's ridiculous. That'll never happen. Okay, so uh, earlier this month, uh, New York City Civil Court Judge Karen May uh, Bakdayan, I may be pronouncing that name wrong, B-A-C-D-A-Y-A-N, reportedly concluded that polyamorous relationships are entitled to the same sort of legal protection given to two-person relationships. Now, there's a long legal case here. But she said there's no way, given the Supreme Court's decision, that she could find that you can exclude 
See, it was it's over rent control in New York City, and if you're married, then you get you can keep the you can pass that rent control uh-huh. along. If you're not married, you can't. Or you know, so so they want to pass it between polyamorous people. Here's a guy that's in a relationship with two other women, and he wants to pass it along. And so the court says no. There's no now that the Supreme Court's ruled. There's no real reason that this has to be. And they used Obergefell. Okay, they used the Supreme Court decision on homosexual marriage to justify this idea that uh, you could have throuples, that's three in a relationship or whatever it may be, to do this. And so, why does a person have to be committed to one other person in only certain prescribed ways in order to enjoy stability in housing after the departure of a loved one? Pardon me. Do all non-traditional relationships have to compromise or include only two primary persons? See, so now what? Now we can say, well, since they don't have to be male only, male and female only, they're non-traditional. They can comprise more than one group of people. Now, this is what the judge says. (coughs) Pardon me. I've got a little frog in my throat here. But. Um. She says that, you know, this these decisions, however, open the door for consideration of other relational constructs. And perhaps the time has arrived, she said, citing a passage from Justice John Roberts and the Obergefell dissent. If not having the opportunity to marry serves to dis- disrespect and subordinate gay and lesbian couples, why wouldn't the same impositions of this disability serve to disrespect and subordinate people who find fulfillment in polyamorous relationships. You see, the court, the problem that many people had with the court decision was that it put the, the rat, legal rationale upon as based on what makes people happy. So to be, you were, you were being mean to gay people to say you don't have a right to marry because you're gay. And since that made them unhappy, we had to make them happy by giving them the right to be married. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what the Supreme Court said in Obergefell in 2015. This judge is just following the logical conclusion. As far as the Obergefell decision and what it said, Gary, this judge is correct. Uh, if you accept yep. Obergefell as good law, as constitutional law, I think she's correct. But that's the problem. It's bad law. Not only is it bad law, but it's certainly bad scriptural advice. So another article here says that... that um, you end up with two, you end up with being able to justify two people. Uh, and in fact, when Obergefell was written, Justice Alito dissented from this. And here's what here's the, one of the questions he posed, Gary. Suppose we rule in your favor in this case, and then after that, a group of a group consisting of two men and two women apply for a marriage license. Would there be any ground for denying them a license? That's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why people said initially that this decision would lead to polyamorous relationships. Although the majority randomly inserts the adjective to in various places in the Obergefell decision, it offers no reason at all why the two-person element of the core definition of marriage may be preserved while the man-woman element may not. How do you preserve if you can't preserve the man-woman element, how do you preserve the two element? Only two people, and you can't. And so the the, the leftist, you know, said, "Oh, it's a slippery slope," and you're you're saying the sky is falling and all that. Well, here we are. Guess what? The sky is falling. Apparently, to some people, the sky is falling. Uh, but this is the whole thing that goes on here. Now, this same thing is going to be put out about the idea of of consent and this idea of child uh, child marriage or child sex because we've destroyed the definition of what marriage is and what proper sexuality is. Uh, you can expect this. And that's why when the White House tweet, tweets out tweets with the LGBTQI plus sign on it, I'm telling you, and I know this is true, that plus stands for pedophilia yeah. or MAPS. Minor attracted persons. This is what the next step is. Just watch for it. It'll take a little time, 
may take an election or two if we don't go the other, unless there's a lot of pushback. But you will be dealing with this plus sign real soon. And even the White House is signaling this to you, that we're going to, uh, we're going to have laws now written in the United States about MAPS, minor attracted persons. It's a kind of a, a psychological condition which should not be stigmatized anymore. And they need to, and, and there's been a lot of stuff done in academia about this very thing. Well, we, let me give the numbers again to call us if you want to call the show. Uh, and then Gary may want to discuss this a little bit more, but I well, thought that was I just wanted to make a comment. But oh, right, go ahead. Then uh, we'll go on. Basically, I was listening, and it wasn't too long ago, to a conservative commentator on television. I'm not going to name them. And they were lamenting how this idea of pedophilia was now gaining legitimacy and uh, how bad that was and that we should really fight that and, and go on and, and look at what it, what it is. And basically, I wanted to scream into the TV because that very same commentary had accepted all of these homosexual relationships. And I said, it's because you accepted those that we are where we are now. Right. And, and, it, and, and going back even you're right about that, Gary. And going back even further, it's because uh, the heterosexual hedonists in our culture, starting in the 60s, have decoupled sex from marriage altogether. Yes. Once you decouple sex from marriage, make it about just about your pleasure, what you're attracted to, and what you consent to, rather than a committed legal relationship or a committed relationship, the release two people of two people who are mutuals in this relationship. Now you now you've decoupled it from from this committed relationship, and sex becomes only about your pleasure and what you consent to. You will have no problem with homosexuality or throuples or polyamory or child sex because that's the argument. There's lots of people that are attracted to young people. To They're, they're attracted to minors, minor-attracted persons. And you, what we're seeing with this use of minor-attracted persons, which is being used in media and academia today, is a redefinition of pet. You keep using this word pedophilia. That's a pejorative term. That sounds negative. We don't want to. We don't want to talk about that. It's like the child molesters I've dealt with in the past. One of them vehemently objected to me using this word molest a child. He would not admit to molest. He admitted to having sex with children, but not molesting them, you see. And, and because he loved children. There you go. He loved them. He was attracted to them. He loved them. It was not a problem. And it, the justification is love. If love is love is love and love defi- and love justifies everything, there is not one thing stopping people who uh, want to have sex with children from having sex with children. You can say it's consent, and they will, they're now, now writing legitimate scholarly psychological articles supposedly talking about the fact that children can have consent. Now, I'll tell you this. Here's the other side. The same people that want to tell you that little three-year-olds can consent to being, when they're born a girl, can consent to being a boy and can consent to having their genitals chopped off. I want gonna, to, want to tell be. you that they can't have, they can't consent to have sex with an older man or yeah. an older, older woman. Well, if the little child can consent to being transsexual, it can certainly consent to having pleasurable sexual relations with an older person if it wants, if the child wants to. Now, I, I'm not approving of that because I'm talking about it. Don't misunderstand the point I'm making. But there, the Bible presents greater moral hurdles to get over than just consent and, and my own personal taste and pleasure, my own fetishes. It presents the whole concept of marriage and sexual relations being lim, limited to marriage. But when we decouple, when we decouple the sex from the marriage, everything falls apart. That starts with homosexual, with heterosexuals ends up in homosexuality, and then it ends up in pedophilia. Now, there is a certain kind of, there's a certain line of thought, Gary, in my study of this that would tell you that pedophiles are not, even though if you've got an older man that's attracted to boys, that he isn't necessarily a homosexual. He's just attracted to young people. And many of the ones that are available are young boys. It's uh, easier to make that work. I'm just going to get into all that. But 
That's uh, what seems to happen. It, it would, in we're decoup- we've decoupled it from the, from the biblical foundation that God put down because we're so afraid that religion is going to get involved that we've decoupled it all. And now we're living in this age of rampant, of, of a kind of extreme individuality where you get to choose whatever you want to do and, and whatever it, pleasure pleases you, you get to do. And that's what, what it boils down to is it boils down to whatever you decide is in your self-interest, you make that decision. Now that was the, and that was the, yes, I'm sorry, I interrupt. I'm interrupting. No, and you make that decision and basically God is telling you through scripture that that's not no. he's, what his plan he is. He created you with a certain nature and he's trying to tell you in the laws he makes about it that, that certain things that you can choose for yourself are damaging and dangerous for you and destructive and they're against his will and his nature and you need to not do, even though you, can do them, you should not do them. Well, see, what, what it run, comes back to, and I, and I think I've pointed this out before, what these people say are, we're trying to get to a utopia. We're trying to get to a perfect world. What they don't understand is the most perfect world that they're going to get to is to follow what God has told them to do. As far as this earth is concerned. As sure. far as this earth is concerned. Yeah. But then you don't, if you don't do that, you don't get the other opportunity later. No. That's, no. that's the, not going to get that perfect. It just gets... So this is a, it is a slippery slope because the slope started not just when that decision was made in, about Oberfell, but it started long before that in the sexual revolution of the 60s with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Many of those things started where we have the idea that we should be able to do whatever we want as long as it pleases us. Well, Christians, it, it, Christians have always said our pleasure should be derived from spiritual things that God says. Well, and see, we should limit ourselves. It's the under, it's the underlying foundation for even Roe versus Wade, our attitude toward unborn children and, and abortion. The same it, principle. It, it, same my principle. Life, my life my, is my mine. Life, I can do what do I, I want. What I want to with it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I don't see what the difference is by saying you, you, I have the right to kill my child before it's born as to saying I have the right to kill my child after it's born. It's yours. And and so forth, but but that's another whole issue, and it all goes to the same thing: that human beings are autonomous in their view, and they have a right to do whatever pleases them. And if if uh, we as if we establish, and we have now legally, that women get to choose to murder babies because it doesn't please them, we've established a very dangerous concept. Satan will not let it rest there. It's going to keep moving just like this. There is a slippery slope, and it keeps moving just like just like the sexual revolution keeps moving further and further away from what we think is just normal heterosexual well, it, it's, it's hijinks. A, it's the same old argument Satan made to Eve in the Garden of Eden. You want to be God? You can be God. All you have right. to do is do what you want to do. And the truth and is, God doesn't immediately stop you from that. That was the dangerous, that was the alarming thing about this Obergfell human uh, homosexual marriage decision that the previous Supreme Court made. It wasn't that they went to the existing law and made a rational, reasonable, legal argument about it. It was that they went to the idea that humans have a right to please themselves and whatever form they want to take, that their sexuality they want to take with it, should be allowed. That's where they went. It would be, and, and they made it well. Since conservatives are objecting to it, it must be bad. They they went completely off the rails legally, and that just opened the door now to polyamory. I don't know how you shut that door. It would be interesting to see which Supreme Court justices opposed that decision. Well, they were the conservative judges, right? In this case, and now now then, that's why there's been this talk since Roe v. Wade was overturned that this court may be presented with an opportunity to overturn the Obergfell decision. And that's why everybody's so freaking out about that. But the truth is, it's bad law. Now, if Congress wants to pass a law allowing homosexual marriage in the United States, that they have that option. Progressives don't usually want to try to pass the laws because they... They have to win elections, and those kind of debate, when you pass a law, you have to have a long debate, and it's hard to win that debate with people. But but they can pass that law, 
but they won't do that. They'll try to rely upon a Supreme Court decision made behind closed doors. And now they've lost that one. And they very well may may that since it's such poor law, I think Obergefell has a good chance of being overturned in the near future. It just takes a certain kind of case to come up. And I think that the polyamory debate and the polygamy or the uh, pedophilia or maps debate is going to trigger that. The transgender debate is going to trigger that these cases that come up, you see, they're going to trigger that. And and we may see a reversal of that because it's just poor law. Therefore, the American system provides a way for you to have that, and that is pass a law. Let Congress make a law about homosexual marriage. Or change the Constitution, modify the Constitution. You can pass another Bill of Rights, basically, if you want to modify the Constitution. But that's, that's politically hard to do. Well, I know that. You know, I'm I, I, Gary. I missed something. I, I'm so I want to apologize to Larry. Uh, Larry called in, and I did not see okay. that we had a caller a few minutes ago, and I think he hung up. Larry, call back if you would, please. I I hope you have time to call back or get a hold of this. I apologize. I missed that on my screen that you were on the line, and Gary and I are busy yakking away. But I would love to hear what you have to say. So call back, Larry. I appreciate that, and I apologize again to you for that happening. That was my mistake, not seeing it. But um, yes, you you have a you have this problem now. Uh, as far as homosexual marriage is concerned, in a legal way, there are arguments for and against that. Morally and biblically, I'm no more in favor of homosexual marriage than I am homosexual sex in the first place. I don't think it's moral uh, to have homosexual sex nor do I think it's more according to the Bible than to be, you can't sanctify that sex by getting married because the sex itself is unsanctified in the first place. Marriage doesn't change it very much. Now, if our society decides that's a, that's a social good to have homosexual marriage because of things like insurance and pensions and, you know, hospital visits. And that was some of the arguments that were made. Okay. That's another issue. And, Politicians and voters will decide those things. But, you know, there's a lot of things, Gary, that are legal, that are not moral. This is always a problem for Christians. We end up living in a society, especially morals disintegrate, where a lot of things that are moral, I mean, that are immoral, are perfectly legal. Well, drug use is one of them, always has been, alcohol and drug yeah. use, that, that, that can be immoral. Uh, is perfectly legal. Lots of other things are. That doesn't mean that Christians can do it or practice it. Divorce for the wrong reasons is legal. Doesn't mean it's moral or a good decision in this case. So we have to um, we have to think about that. Okay. I I don't know whether Larry's Larry's back on the phone. All right, Larry, okay, are you there? Start. Yes, uh, I got the my own interpretations. Uh, when all these things are happening, should not that drive us to our knees in prayer to our Father in Heaven? Well, absolutely it should. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through about 4, tell us that we are to make prayers of supplication and thanksgiving for all men and also for those in power, without quoting the whole verse. And so, yes, and, and, that, and that's, that these prayers are to be made so that, he says, Paul does, we might lead a quiet in and peaceful life. What's that? In my own belief, and when I look in the mirror at what I do, it seems to me that acknowledging these things is giving uh, okay to them by just taking it in myself and not preaching to people on what I believe, uh, instead of saying, is this wrong or is this something that needs to change? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Explain that to me again. Make sure I got your point. You're saying that... Okay. I, go ahead. I, I have an opportunity 
to see very many wrong things go wrong. Uh-huh. I spent an awful lot of time in my silent prayer to these people that they will see the light, that they will trust their Father in Heaven, their Creator, and their life will become wonderful and happy. And that is the only true way, is to trust and obey. But who do we trust and who do we obey? Well, that's the that's the problem that people have is that they don't really trust the God of the Bible for that. They trust their own God of their own creation sometimes, or they trust themselves. Another problem that we have in general in society, Larry, is that I was just as I was just saying, people think that because something is legal, it must be good. And so, for example, since alcohol is legal or marijuana is legal in some ways, we think, well, that must be okay then. Uh, and yet we ignore that we ignore the destructiveness of those things. Let me tell you personally, I have been a problem for the law enforcement all of my life. The law has turned against me. I've been in court and I was not guilty of anything. I was found guilty. And I was even given a chance to defend myself. Well, I can I know that it happens that I'm certainly not going to say wouldn't say that everybody that's brought before a judge is guilty, nor is justice always served. What 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 well, happened? You're guilty. What's it's that? Proven innocent in a court of law. Yeah. And and sometimes that that happens. That's right. And it's certainly I true that they are. Ever since I was five years old, I was I was put in a cell because my grandmother thought I stole five dollars from her. I didn't even know what five dollars was. Uh huh. Set you on a set you on a course then that where you were continually in trouble, huh? This has been my life, and the only thing that keeps me going is that I know people love me, and even though they can't express it. Well, you know, and I, I certainly can't comment about all the things that have happened to you, except that I know that the Bible says that in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 about Jesus, that he suffered for us. Well, he says, he, he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, what credit is it if you, when you are beaten for your faults, take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, because Christ left you an example who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. So, Larry, in your case, if you're innocent of these things, you commit yourself to God, and he will one day straighten all this out, whether it's in this life or the next life. Because I, if you do what's right, justice will eventually be served. Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit and the Creator, not this God, but this government. Right. Go- government is not God. That's exactly right. And Christians God, have to understand that. You don't want to believe that government does not control and rule you and you're a puppet well i i think i want to i want to i know that the bible is very clear that christians ought to respect the government even when the government does what's wrong we ought to try to correct the government use you doesn't say commit to them it says pray for those who right it doesn't say we have to do we we are, are permitted to disobey the government when they tell us to do wrong. Look, Larry, we've got to, we're going to have to run in a second because our t- show's right. about over. Yeah. Uh, you call back next week, and I really appreciate you calling and talking with us about these things very much. Give us a call back next week. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for all of you who called today and your participation in the show. Time is about gone, and so I, we want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. We are just Christians. Dot com, and you'll find resources there. These shows on recording or on podcasts, as well as the sermons. We want to invite you to come and be with us and worship with us here at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard 
in Port St. Lucie, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard at 10, 11 today, and also at 730 on Wednesday night. We'd like to invite you to do that. You're not going to be asked for money, not going to be embarrassed. Come and see for yourself. Thank you very much, and may God bless you until next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.